If you are here today, thank you guys for being present. And if you're watching online, thank you guys um, for being with us as well. And we are going to be talking about this kind of uh, situation of this coronavirus that's going on around us. There is a lot of fear. And if you don't think there is, just go to Costco and check out the line. I mean, you can see the entire line that's out there. People are buying up anything and everything they can possibly find for the sake of a quarantine and all these kinds of pieces. But indeed, there is a fear that is kind of pervading our situation, leading some to panic, leading some to resist it, some to conspiracy theories. There's all kinds of things like that. And I'm a little concerned for myself, to be quite honest, only because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, to be, to be quite honest. Uh, talking with my wife over these years, there'll be times my children will come down with some kind of disease or some kind of sim- symptoms, and she'll describe the symptoms. She's like, oh yeah, um, Nate or, or my daughter, she's, she's, their stomach is really hurting, and they're, I think they're going to start throwing up, or they, they've got this cough, or they're sneezing like crazy. Every single time she starts to describe these, these symptoms, I'm like, oh yeah, I think I feel like my stomach's in. Uh, anybody else like that? I'm just a little bit of a hypochondriac. I feel like, oh, I need to sneeze. Uh, And I I go through this phase. So I have the residual cough thing from this cold that hit everybody at our church the last few months. You guys know what I'm talking about? It kind of rolled through in in December and January and gives you like this leftover cough. Everybody right now, I just mentioned cough. You're a hypochondriac. You're like, no, don't cough, don't cough. So, but but at home you can cough. And so what's going on is... We, I had this residual cough, and I'm reading all the information from the CDC on the uh, coronavirus symptoms and how do you know and when should you check yourself in and all that stuff. And, and literally, I'm getting a little bit more like freaked out as I'm, I'm like, I got a cough and I, I got this. And so I get to some point where I'm like, oh, I'm, gonna, I, I'm worried about this. I'm really worried about it. I went upstairs. I grabbed like my kid's thermometer and was like checking my ears for my temperature just to make sure I was okay. Just because that's how things can grab you, right? That can cause fear. Some of you guys are like, you're weird. No, nah, come on. You're all good. You're all gripping in some way. But here's why my point is. Fear is a lot like a symptom. And I really want to zero in on this idea. That fear is a symptom of your soul. Fear is often told to us that it has nothing to do with your soul. It has nothing to do with your spiritual condition. All fear is is your brain stem. This this animal reptile portion of your brain kicking off and, and causing you to react like you would as an animal in the midst of danger and stuff like that. And while we do have brain evidence that that is where fear resides in your brain, I want to argue today that our fear is nothing like animal fear. Can we just be honest about this? We are not jumping around. I have a dog. When my dog is scared, that dog is like literally running from whatever it is. And we as humans, we don't react in this way with fear. You're above your fear. Your fear is a part of who you are. Your fear is a, is a symptom of what's going on inside of your soul when something bad is going to happen. It is a symptom within your spiritual being that is telling you there is a threat to your well-being going on. Now, that can be a part of your body, but I want to just kind of point out that panic is far more like animal fear than normal fear. And everybody in this room at some level is probably experiencing some kind of fear. It's natural to feel fear, to feel threatened, to feel like there is something going on that's going to cause me to to be harmed or my children to be harmed or my loved ones to be harmed, and that fear resides. The question I want to ask today is, what do you do with that fear? How do we process it? Where do we go with it? Why is there fear? What is going on? Why would God allow fear in our lives? If you're a Christian, you may even be feeling guilty that you have some fear in your life as a Christian. As a non-Christian, you may be wondering, why in the world would God even allow fear? What is all this stuff about? Why is all these things happening? Well, what's interesting is that when we start to think about fear and we look into the Bible, we find that fear is a pretty common theme throughout the Old Testament and the scriptures. We actually discover that if 
it shows up the majority of the time in battle scenes. Wouldn't you expect that? I mean, when you have men lined up in war, and oftentimes it was the Israelites outnumbered by the Philistines, there would be a sense of fear pervading the people. And what's interesting about human beings, unlike animals, is we will take that fear and we will control it. We'll calm it down, we'll tamp it down to generate it in a movement. That's why we don't run off fearful in battle. We run into battle and these kind of things go on. Now, eventually... In the scriptures, what will happen is an earthquake hits or a hailstorm falls or something, somebody gets routed and panic and madness, as the Bible calls it, ensues. When that happens, guys are throwing their swords in the air, turn around, stripping their armor off, running as fast as they can to escape the battle because they are thinking one thing and one thing only. I'm going to die. That's panic. And as people are running to Costco and running to Stated Brothers and running to these locations, they're thinking one thing, man, I don't want to die. And they're grabbed and they're being irrational. Why buy all the bottled water? Last time I checked, our tap water is going to work. It'll be just fine. Panic. Why are we so fearful? Except for the fact that there is something about the threat of our lives or the threat of our loved one's lives or the threat of the danger in our lives that causes us to fear. Now, here's the thing. Fear occurs from what we believe will harm us. Fear occurs when we only believe something will harm you. It doesn't even have to actually exist. So I'll give you an example of this. Um, a couple, three years ago, my wife and I, for an anniversary trip, got to go to Catalina. And ever been to Catalina Islands? It's gorgeous. And uh, have you ever kayaked at Catalina? Anybody here kayak? Throw your hand up real quick. It, it is an awesome and a, a enjoyable thing. No, it's not. It's actually not fun. It's, a, it's, it's absolutely frightening because I had just watched Shark Week and my wife and I get into this kayak and I found out on Shark Week that around Catalina Island are great whites who like to actually, um, you know, kind of go there during the time period we were there to, you know, have babies and all that fun stuff and migrate. And so we're out in the kayak and we're kind of kayaking along and we're thinking, let's go to a cute little cove and we can kiss, make out, you know, it's our anniversary and I'm, we're getting out into the water and I'm starting to paddle faster. I'm starting to paddle faster and I'm like, you know, not because I'm buff and not because I want to show off, but because I'm thinking there's a shark under me. There's a shark under me. Not only that, there I'm thinking that shark thinks I'm a seal. That shark's going to kill me. And I'm starting to feel panic. And I'm literally paddling. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I want to go closer to the shore. Let's get out of here. Like, I'm moving us away from what's causing me to freak out. Because I believe, not just that there's a shark, I believe that shark wants to kill me. Probably was no shark, and it probably didn't want to kill me. I survived. I know there was no shark, and it didn't want to kill me, but I believed it. And the power of our beliefs is the ability to move us emotionally and spiritually into a place of fear. So when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to these things, I will talk to people and it's like, oh, I'm not scared to die myself. I'm scared for my mom or my dad. I'm scared for my children. I'm scared for my aunt or my uncle. I'm fearful for their death. I'm fearful for these things. But you know, what's interesting is there's always a seeming background of death floating around because here's the thing. We believe something is dangerous. We feel that fear because something is dangerous. And when we feel this danger, what we often believe is that thing is not in my control and that thing I don't understand. That's what causes fear. I don't understand it. That's where xenophobia comes from. People will literally feel a fear because they don't understand or, or, or understand who somebody is or what somebody is or what this thing, and it causes fear. But even more than that is when you can't control something. When you're walking around out in the, in the hills up here, you understand you can't control 
what's going on around you. You can't control the fact that there may be a mountain lion stalking you. You can't control the fact there may be a big giant shark under you swimming around. And you can't control a bug that's flying through the airs. Now, we think we can control it, and we will tell ourselves we will control it, but we feel this fear all the time. I think it's the number one reason why we entertain ourselves to death. We don't want to face reality right now. We, and we're in a very rich, very comfortable world. And a lot of our entertainments have just been stripped away. No NBA, no NLB. No, I mean, just gone. That's why you buy stock in Netflix right now, guys. It's going to go up. Everybody's just staying home watching movies all day long, right? And here's the thing. We are trying to comfort ourselves from a, a fear that is residing within us, an underlying fear. But fear is given to us by God as a symptom of a threat, symptom of something's really going on. But we need to follow that fear. We need to press into that fear. We need to challenge people to follow the fear like a path because it is a path. See that we're not really scared of the virus as much as we are scared of the death the virus might bring or the disaster the virus might bring to us. We're not really afraid of that death. We're afraid of something else. We'll get to that in a minute. But what's really going on is now in a secular world, we've been set up to be absolutely 100% afraid of this whole death thing, that you've been given no help. Let's start here. First of all, they'll tell you, hey, there's nothing to fear. Look, the CDC's got control. If you keep yourself quarantined and you're good to go, you know, make sure you do these things and you'll have control. You don't have control. You don't know who has it. We don't know if children got it. We don't know who's got it. We know it affects the older, the adults. We've got all this information. But then there's all this social media information. You don't know what's really true, what's not. CDC's kind of slow on the game in some cases on their websites. And sometimes Fox and, and CNN are shouting about things that aren't even true because they're yelling at each other or whatever. We're just it's so inundated with so much confusion. We don't understand it. And that lack of understanding produces fear. And when suddenly there's a fear and we realize I don't have control and I don't understand it, we begin to panic and that panic begins to sink in. And as we move through this process, we begin to wonder what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And the secular world says, what's going to happen next? You're going to quarantine yourself and scientists are going to solve the problem and we'll be good. Praise God for scientists and medical technicians. Amen? We, we should be praising God for those people. But they're not going to stop the fear of death. They may postpone the virus, they may hold back and we may get to a solution here and we may discover how to deal with the coronavirus and all that and I'm pretty sure we will. But they haven't solved the real problem. See, what's interesting about the secular world, well, they want to tell you have hope in science, have hope in science. And when the hope of science is done, there's still death that's waiting for you. And they haven't beat that and they won't. What's very interesting is the secular world then sets you up in a very bad way because they tell you, and guess what? When you die, there's nothing beyond your death. You're just gonna go take a dirt nap, become compost for something and you're, and you're welcome. And so what they've told a generation of people is because all you are is some animal that will fall asleep someday and have no existence post that, this is your life, live it up now, have everything that you can, get it. And so the threat of your life ending, your only life that you will ever have, and it will be cut short by a virus, is freaking people out. Because there is no answer. In fact, if you really listen to the atheist scholars, what they tell you is be brave. You're going to die, just die bravely. That's really interesting because the biblical definition of somebody who's just said, hey, well, I'm going to die, whether it's brave or not, is somebody who is resigned to death, which is to live in despair. And despair is a sin. 
Despair is something that destroys the soul. Despair is something that will cause you to act out for pleasure, to close off that fear of despair. It will push away those things of death and you'll enter into this entertainment life or you'll just make it quick and we commit suicide, which is happening throughout our society, these deaths of despair because our secular world has not given us what we need to deal with the fear of death and the realities of things like pandemics, of murders, of riots, of human evil. And we go, well, what do we got, Greg? Let's, let's get to the comfort part. You, know, I'm, you scared me enough. I'm good to go. Okay, let's, let's do this. But the problem is I can't really help you a lot because when Christianity begins its journey into this conversation of fear, here, here's the problem. You may be fearful of the disease. You may be fearful of death. But the first thing that we offer in Christianity is something far more frightening and far more scary than any disease or any death that you will encounter. And I want to show you where I find this. This is in, open your Bibles if you got one to... 1 Samuel chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, it's available under the seats. You can pull it out, page 229 in the Bibles under the seats. And what we're looking at here, and if you want to go there at home, you can open it up on an app or a Bible that you've got. And we're looking at this conversation, 1 Samuel chapter 5. And I'll just set up the scenario so you guys kind of know what the story is. Uh, really, it's this group of people who've gathered together. There have been tumors and diseases rolling through their entire towns. And so they've gathered together with all their lords, kind of like their own CDC mentality. And they're like, we need to deal with this. How do we get rid of this disease? And they've come up with a solution and it only seems to spread the problem. Well, what is the problem? The actual problem isn't the tumors. The actual problem isn't the disease. We're talking about a city of the Philistines namely a place called Ashdod. Now the Philistines have just had their greatest victory over Israel they had seen. So great, they had captured the Ark of the Covenant itself, drug it to their own temple of the Temple of Dagon and set it before their God. Now through the night, God, our God, the God of Israel, messed around with the God of Dagon, making it bow down, breaking its head off, doing certain kinds of weird things to it. And, and so they woke up in the morning, they're like, we gotta get rid of this thing. And so we pick up in verse 6, it says, The hand of the Lord was very heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, there's their CDC gathering, and said, what shall we do with the ark of God, the ark of the God of Israel? And they said, uh, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. We don't like those guys anyway, right? So they shifted it down there. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, oh, we're going to die, basically. Panic everywhere. But they aren't panicked just about the disease. What are they panicked about? They're panicked about the presence of God. I don't know if you've noticed this through scripture, every single time God appears to a human being, it causes that person to melt in such a manner they fall forward in absolute terror and fear before God. And while I can, we want to run around and tell everybody God's got this, he's got control of this, he's got that, those are not comforting thoughts, to be quite honest. Yes, God is in absolute control. 
As we see, he's over the plagues. We know he's over wars. He knows he controls the nations. We know that he is sovereign over everything that we see. Not one single atom of the universe is not moving according to his knowledge and, his, and according to his plan. And all of this is happening. Now, Greg, are you saying that God made this virus happen and he's punishing people? No, 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 no. I'm not going to tell you what I, what I'm not, I don't know what God is doing. I'm not here to announce the will of God to anybody here. And if you have a pastor out there who's trying to tell you this is a punishment for X, Y, and Z, I don't know who he's talking to. I'm not going to stand up and say that stuff, but God doesn't indicate to us why he's doing what he's doing, but he does definitely tell us that he's in control of everything. And that whether he's doing it, you know, pushing this thing out or whether his hand is off it, allowing it to happen, God is in control, using it according to his purposes and his directions as he deems and he wills. And some people go, Greg, 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 we, we can't say that. That's, that's not comforting. I mean, people are going to go, why would God do this? Why is he allowing this kind of stuff to happen? Why is he allowing people to die? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Well, hold on, I'm not done yet. It gets worse. See, God's your maker. He has every right to take your life and give you life. He gave it to you without you asking. He'll take it without you asking. God is the God over all of our lives and death because he's your maker. He's your owner. He owns your body. He owns your soul. Every part about you is his. In addition to that, he is the God who has the power over all of the universe. So much power, he made the universe with his word. I mean, you think a nuclear bomb's powerful and scary. Try the fact that he made all of the nuclear bombs that could ever go off just with his words. And then let's add on one more thing. He's, un, he's not capable of being understood by us completely as human beings. And I don't know, last time I checked, when we don't understand something, that's scary. That causes fear. And then there's this one attribute about God that just drives me absolutely to, to being shaken in my boots scared. And that is this word called independent. God is independent of us. God doesn't need creation. He didn't need to make us. He didn't have to make us. He didn't need to do anything. He was content in who he is as God. He alone can exist with nothing else. We need him. He doesn't need us. That means he's uncontrolled by humanity. No sea world person who can tell a whale what to do is ever going to be able to figure out how to tell God what to do. Amen? You cannot have anybody come to church enough times, bend their knees enough times to say Hail Mary's enough times to control God in any manner or any circumstance. It is impossible to control this God. In fact, as C.S. Lewis put it, he is untamable. We're never going to put a leash on God to make him do what we want. He capitulates to answer your prayers. He capitulates to give you mercy. He doesn't have to do anything. He's God the ultimate sovereign ruler, independent of everything that he's ever made. He sits alone in the heavens as the greatest ruler, the most powerful being that ever there was. And if you can't control him and we can't understand him, last time I checked, that means I'm probably going to be really scared of him, which is what we see. And we can't handle this fear. And so what we do is we recoil from this fearful, awesome God. And we say, how can God, God must be evil because God does these things. And God must be this and God must be that. And we push God away because we are so darn scared. Because guess what? You can't escape him. 
He's everywhere, in your home, in this room, in your head. He sees it all, knows it all, hears it all. He's judging it all. He's weighing it all. And man, this God is just and righteous and pure, and we know it. And when he comes near, the symptom of our soul that we are in danger goes off, and we are scared. And so as Christians, the first thing we're going to offer people is that God's in control. I don't know if that's as comforting as we think it is. Because suddenly we have to ask this question. What do I do with a God like this? Even Jesus pointed this out. I love it. Jesus was the one who shows up. We think Jesus is the one who's like, oh, God loves you and all this stuff. And he goes, no, no, no. You don't really want to be scared of something. He says, I'll tell you, my friends. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Don't fear a disease that can kill your body. Don't fear a group of people that can kill you. Don't fear the things that will kill your body. They can't do anything else. But I'll warn you who to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. More than anything, God is fearful to us because he has every right and we know it to cast us into a punishment. To cast us into hell. And so as we begin to fear, you know why we fear pandemics? Do you know why we fear death? Because we go, what is God doing? What is he going to do to me? If he's willing to do this to people, what is he going to do to me? And we all know deep down inside that we're broken. And we all know when we step into the real presence of the true God that something's wrong. Because we feel this fear. Because behind that comes with God is this punishment, this justice, this amazing control. And who he is. And we go, and we start to crumble. But here's what's weird about Jesus. Jesus wraps everything into a mystery. I love it. He goes, you know, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear God. Fear God. And the very next verse, check this out. He goes, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? It's like he totally changes gears. What are you talking about? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your, own, of your head are all numbered. And for some of you, that's a lot easier than others. Fear not. You are f- of more value than many sparrows. Wait, anybody pick that up? Fear God. Fear not. Fear him more than anything else in the world. He is the scariest being who can cast you into hell. Don't fear. What is going on in this text? What is happening here? How can we be told not to fear when we're supposed to fear? This just is confusing. I believe Jesus' disciple John meditated on this quite a bit. In fact, in his letter to the church, we call it 1 John, as he is writing, inspired by God to do this, he begins to deal with this idea. In fact, in a very powerfully known passage of Scripture, the verse before the one we're going to look at here, he says these words that are known throughout our culture. God is what? Love. How often do we hear, God is love, God is love, right? Now let's pause that for one second and say, if now that we know that God's over pandemics, now that we know that God's over all the things in the world, even the wars, and he orders the nations, he does all these things, and you look at this world and we say, God is love. Does that make abs- any sense at all? How do you know God is love? It looks like all the evidence that we see is God seems to hate us and wants to destroy us because everything kills us. And then he's going to judge us and send us to hell. How is God love? How do these things go together? Same question. Jesus is living here, raising up. Well, we need to see how this goes together, and we'll go here to 1 John real quick to kind of put these pieces together. Just after he declares that God is love, 
John moves into this section and he says this. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Well, that's interesting. But perfect love casts out all fear. So Jesus says, look, when you have this love, and I'm not talking about gushy love, like God's up there going, oh, you make my heart pitter-patter and I'm so happy. No, not that kind of love. We're talking about the kind of love where we'd be willing to, to say, I absolutely love you like a father loves a child. I care about you. You are mine. Then why are you destroying us? What's going on? And he gets into this. He says, listen, it's this kind of love. If you have this kind of love, it will vanquish the fear. It will cast it out like it's a demon. What is this love? Well, notice what he says. He says, for fear has to do with what? Punishment. I'm scared of hell. Uh, fear the one who can cast you into hell. I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of a disease because I'm afraid of what's going to happen after I die. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my kids after they die. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose the relationship. It's going to be over. I'm afraid for my parents because they're going to die. Death equals some kind of punishment. What's going on? And yet, this is in our language. Listen to your culture for a minute, folks. Think about a church. Why does everybody blame God for all the evils of the world except they think God's against us? And what the Bible seems to indicate is, in a lot of ways, God's out to punish us because when we draw near to God, our souls say we're in danger and there's all kinds of punishment going on all over the place. And so when we encounter God, the first orientation of your heart is to fear God because of his ability to punish I want to say keep pressing into that fear for a minute. Follow the fear. Follow it from the pandemic to the fear of death, to the fear of God, because right now you're just at the beginning of the journey. The Bible says this, that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. You're about to know something. You're about to grow in wisdom. You're about to find true knowledge. You're about to step over a threshold away from full fear because you press into the fear all the way to the point where you see the fear of God is overwhelming you, crashing in on you because of his right to punish us because we have sinned and broken. And now we're here at the precipice. And what we see is that what we must do then is not simply run from God, entertain ourselves away from God and our fear, but to fall on our knees and declare, God, have mercy upon my soul is sinner. When that hits, when that moves, when you stand before the very God who is so fearful, begging him, please have mercy on me, what we meet is not a God of punishment. We meet a God of love. We do not meet the, we do not meet the police officer. My wife, as, as I've told you guys before, is deathly afraid of police officers, right? And when she's driving, only when she's driving, because she believes every single police officer is out to get her and her alone. And to give her a ticket, that's all they exist for, especially motorcycle cops. And so it doesn't matter. If they show up in front of her or behind her at any point, she's like, you see her. She like breaks out in a sweat. She like starts to get fearful. And it's intense. Because her orientation to police officers is they want to punish me. And so suddenly we go, God, have mercy upon me. And you do not meet a God of punishment. What you meet is the sentence prior that God is love. Now, that's nice to say. Those are words. Who says that John's just not making it up to give you comfort? Who says this isn't just a human invention to make us feel better about bad things, except that God didn't just use words. 
See, in this fallen world, what God did is he did an extravagant act. He entered into the world as a human being. He, formed, he came and he lived under humanity's care and aid. He grew up amongst us, began to teach us the way of love, began to teach us the way of self-sacrifice, began to teach us the way of forgiveness, began to teach us how to act in the kingdom of God. And as he began to lead us, he had one mission and one goal. And as he came to that cross, he hung on that cross. And on that cross, in an extravagant act of love, the God of the universe, the one who's come to punish, the one who's going to bring his wrath, hung on the cross and bore what for us? Our punishment. He took your punishment for sin. His act on the cross is to bear your punishment if you will receive him. He takes it upon himself so that when you meet God and you've trusted in Jesus, the punishment is gone. For fear has to do with punishment, but true love casts out all fear. And the act of true love of Jesus dying on the cross for you to bear your punishment removes the fear of God. It changes the orientation of your heart. You go away from God's going to punish me to God is my father. And sure, he may discipline me, he may train me, he may guide me, he may put me through difficult stuff, but all the control of the universe, all of the haunting of God to watch me, all of the things that I fear about God's uncontrollability suddenly come for me. Because when you have received Christ, Christ is no longer against you, he is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Your orientation radically shifts away from, God's gonna get me and I'm scared to... God loves me. And the fear of God is shifted to the love of God. If you'll press in and cry out for mercy, you will find the God of love, the God of grace, who has given you an extravagant sign of love on the cross. Jesus bears our punishment there as he became our sin and bore it there. And then what's beautiful is he takes away the fear of death because he raised his son from the dead. And if he's willing to call you his son, you too will be raised from the dead. And the fear of death is removed because Jesus is alive. And the fear of punishment beyond death is removed because God has promised you that you will be his children with him and now you have eternal life. And there's no fear. Death switches from something I'm scared of to something that, you know, honestly, it's a gain. To live is Christ to die becomes gaining the very thing I long for, to be perfected and removed from sin and suffering and to be the presence of God, to know him completely. Because my heart is not afraid anymore. My soul's mal- malady, the, ad- the dis-ease is removed and love fills the place because Jesus has borne your punishment. He's risen from the dead. And so what does that mean about a pandemic? That the God who's got full control over every war, over every country, over every pandemic, over everything is your father and all of that control and all that planning works to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Everything in his plan, everything in his orientation, everything is aimed for your full care and engagement to become holy in eternity. All of that power, all of that things that we feared become for you because he loves you. 
It shapes and changes the fear. It removes it completely. Every ounce of it gone. Every part of it gone. And when you feel fear, my brothers and sisters, it is a calling to press back to God, to sense that he has removed the punishment. He is over in control and he is for you because Jesus Christ died on that cross to bear your punishment, remove it from you, give you life, give you his presence by the spirit, and now he is with you. Yeah, you know what? You may get the coronavirus. Someone in your life may die from the coronavirus, and it may have come from you. We understand this. But is this God against you? No. God's not against you. If you have Christ in your life, he has adopted you. You're his child. He has shaped and moved you into, his, into a relationship with him so that now he is trying to shape you and show you and lead you. He is with you to comfort you, to guide you, and you can call others to come with you. The whole orientation is different. Will you die one day? Sure, you'll die. But it's not the end again. It's gain. All of our suffering begins to identify with Jesus who suffered on a cross and rose from the dead. We're now able to identify that this is for my good to change me, to shape me. God, what are you showing me? What are you bringing into my life that I may be like you? Everything in the Christian's life is oriented away from fear to full expectation and a big word called hope. And that hope will not disappoint, the scriptures say. That hope will be confirmed over and over and over again because that hope is not a wish fulfillment. It is like Amazon sending you a package. You know it's coming. You just hope it's right now. It's expectation as you trust what God has given you in his promise. My friends, we're gonna meet a lot of fearful people. We're gonna meet a lot of people in panic. And what we wanna do is we wanna guide them to the God who they most fear we want to let them engage their questions and their wonder because we want to bring them to the place where they can truly find that they've met the God, not of punishment, but the God of love who's willing to bear their punishment, to save them from their sins, to release them into life and to love. And this is your comfort. The gospel is your comfort in this time. Meditate on it. Remember it. Rehearse it. Preach it to yourself, knowing that God has done away with our fear. So what remains? Again, by this is love perfected with us. For what purpose? So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let me get practical real quick. As Christians, then we don't need to fear death. We can run to those who are hurting, those who are sick, out of love of our neighbor to care for them. Now, if we get it, we will remove ourselves in quarantine out of love of our neighbor to care for them, not out of fear, We'll go buy groceries for other people even if our stock is low because we care for them. Because when you come to the place where your fear is gone, self-sacrifice is available. Because what keeps self-sacrifice away is one word, fear. If I'm scared for me, I cannot love well. But once fear is removed and I know God loves me and I know God has the best for me and I know that God is sending me into eternity and I know that he's gonna resurrect me and I know all his power, control and plan is aimed for me, then guess what? I can get out there and be like he was, self-sacrificial, loving everyone I can whatever way I can with wisdom. And that's the call to the church right now. It's not to be consumed by your fear, to be consumed by love. Because Jesus Christ's love has cast out all fear. Amen? And that's what I want to encourage you guys with today. That was a bit convoluted and maybe a little freaky. But our God is a great God.
to be honored, revered, and respected. And it's so wonderful to know that he loved us to send his only son, that if you would believe in him, you wouldn't perish, you wouldn't find punishment, but you'd be given eternal life. And that eternal life looks like a life lived in love and the knowledge of God in his presence. Would you bow your heads with me? Even at home right now, today I want to encourage you, you may be watching this or you may be hearing this in this room. And your fear resides with you because God is drawing near to you right now and you know there is only the fear of punishment that is with you. But I want you to hear that God has given you a gift. He has given you his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to bear that punishment away, to make you right with God so that you do not fear him, but you find love in him. And you do not work for this love. You do not earn this love. You can't control God. But God has given you a gift. God has offered it to you freely, right where you're at, at home, here. You know, change your life and clean yourself up. He'll change your life and direct you from here. But you have to turn to him. You have to trust that in his promise, he will remove that punishment. And so today, right where you're at, maybe this is the time Take that step towards trusting that Jesus Christ has borne that punishment for you, giving you that chance to know the God of love. And so here it is offered to you right now. If that's you and you need to receive that gift, to be forgiven of sin, to be saved from that punishment, I'll give you that chance right now to do so. Just put your hand up. I want to walk you through a prayer. You're saying, that's me. I need that gift. So right now, this is the prayer you just lift up to God. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. Uh, my soul feels fearful near you. And I know you have the right to punish me. Have mercy upon me. I trust that Jesus Christ has taken my punishment away on the cross. I trust he rose from the dead to give me life. I ask that you would please now come into my life. Lead me in your love. Lead me in your presence and vanquish fear in my heart. Lead me all the way home to heaven, I pray. In Jesus' name.